Galatians chapter 2. If, you, uh, if you're paying attention, you may have noticed I did a little uh, switcheroo on y'all last week. Um, I, I had preached up through Galatians 2.10 and then skipped down to verse 15 last week. Um, and I skipped a couple verses. Did anybody actually notice that? No? Okay. Well, y'all need to pay better attention. Uh, this week, we're going to go back and talk about verses 11 through 14. So don't worry if you're, if you're, if you're scared of me skipping verses. I'm not skipping verses. But anyway, uh, y'all didn't even know until I said something. So y'all are fine. Galatians 2, uh, will be in verses 11 through 14 this week. And I have to be honest with you. This, there's a, there's a verse that's haunting me in the book of Galatians. I thought when I studied this and when I prepared and originally when I, when I read this verse, it's, it's one of those important kind of verses and you note that it's important, but then it's been sticking with me and sticking with me and sticking with me and not like a, um, not like just I keep remembering it kind of a way. It's like it keeps hitting me in the face. Um, God's word ever do that to you. You, you, you read a verse and the next thing you know, that verse hounds you and, and it, it stays on your tail like constantly. Has it ever, has it ever done that to you? Yeah. This verse is doing that to me and it's actually Galatians 1.10 and we've talked about it for a couple of weeks, but it's still haunting me. For I, am I now speaking, seeking the approval of men or of God or am I trying to please man? If I were trying, Still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And it's that question. Am I seeking God's approval or am I seeking man's approval? Am I pleasing God or am I pleasing men? That verse is hounding me. It's almost as if Paul orients much of his book around that question. We saw it a few weeks ago when we talked about his authority. We talked about the fact that he was called by God and the message that he's bringing is the message of, of God. It's not something he came up with. We talked about it when he didn't get approval from men when God came to him, revealed the gospel to him, showed him his calling. He basically went straight to work. He basically went straight into the mission field to do what God had called him to do. He didn't get the blessings or the approval of other people. He went straight at it. And later, when he did go to Jerusalem and he did meet with some of the important folks of the Jerusalem church, they merely confirmed what God was already doing. Because Paul wasn't seeking to, to appease men, to please men, to, to get the approval of men. He was looking for God's approval. Who they were made no difference to Paul. It was what God said. And what God was leading him to do, he was determined to do. And we come across that same thing happening here in verses 11 through 14. So stand with me as we read Galatians 2, 11 through 14. This is, this is God's Word, and um, for those of you, I know we've got a couple of visitors and some folks that we are glad to see that aren't visitors that are very much family, but it's good to have you here, Miss Hobby. And you too, by the way, <laughs> thank you for coming too. But I know we've got some visitors and folks. We stand because God's Word is so important that when we read it, we ought to, we ought to take notice. And sometimes take, 
Changing our posture helps us do that. So Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14, this is God's Word. And if you let it, it will change your life. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Pray with me. Father God, I pray that we would be seeking your pleasure, your approval, your seal rather than ours, rather than those of others. I pray that what you think would matter infinitely more than what others think. God, I pray that we would honor you. Use your word in this time to shape our hearts and change our lives so that we can bring you glory. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. Y'all have a seat. Now, that question, who am I pleasing? Am I pleasing God? Am I pleasing men? It's a, it's a question that's been hounding me. One of the unique roles of pastor is uh, that you have, to, you have to kind of fit both. You have to fill in both boxes. If y'all aren't happy with me, y'all just kick me out any time. Y'all don't have to have me around. And so there's this one sense at which I do want to bring y'all pleasure. I do want to bring you guys. I, I, I want to honor you and I want to, to be the kind of pastor that builds you up and encourages you and strengthens you. But at the same time, I'm not called by you. I'm called by God. And so I have to honor Him and please Him. And sometimes when people want us to do things, when people try to set the agenda, when people have in mind what they think we ought to be, whether pastor or not, sometimes that goes directly in contradiction with what God says. And the question is, who are we going to please? Are we going to please men? Or are we going to please God? And it's so easy to try to please men. Y'all ever heard of peer pressure? I'm going to tell you a secret. Peer pressure is not just for teenagers. James was telling me earlier about um, how, how, how he was talking to a friend. And he felt the pressure to lie just to get that friend to like him. And he goes to a Christian school. Can you imagine that? I mean, they're supposed to not do anything wrong until after they get out of school, right? I mean, that's supposed to be guarded territory. No. It's down deep in the souls of men. By our very natures, we oppose God. That's who we are, folks. And what happens... What often happens is this process happens that causes us to fall away from God's words and doing what God wants us to do to instead doing what people want us to do. And sometimes those two don't conflict. Um, 
God is not going to tell a kid not to obey their parents. For the most part, now, now, if your parents are telling you to do crazy stuff, that's different. But cleaning your room is not crazy stuff, right? Most of the things don't really find... And, and sometimes, too, sometimes we think, well, if anything doesn't exactly fit my idea of how life should be, it's directly opposed to God. And that's not always true. God granted the Israelites the ability to divorce by putting very strict limits. Does God like divorce? No. But he said, you're going to do it anyway. At least let's set some boundaries so you do it in a better way. There was a, a ver- I was listening on the way here, listening to a podcast, and they were talking about a law of that was in the it, that was in the scripture and how that law seems to be so terrible at first he's talking about soldiers in the spoils of war taking foreign women as their wives and obviously god doesn't want you to exploit people that way but he puts these very strict limits and in the process of time, they, the, the, the two guys talking back and forth about this passage were saying, I could see one day a wise man, like a Solomon, coming along and saying, you know, we shouldn't really, we shouldn't really be doing this. We shouldn't really be taking wives from other nations that we fight against. He could see how that revolution would happen where God changes your heart little by little from the place where you are to the place where He wants you to be. You can't ask, you can't ask, it's like, you ever get in a swimming pool when it's cold, 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 like March? Yeah? Woo, that's a, that'll wake you up, won't it? You put your foot in, maybe, a little bit. Test it out. See just how cold it is. Maybe you sit there for a minute before you slowly get in. Carrie's like, no, I'm just not going in. (laughs) Little by little, God is taking us and changing us from who we are to who he wants us to be. You can't just dive straight into the deep end of the pool in March. (laughs) Trust me, you don't want to do that. Even in Alabama, when March weather is 80 degrees, you still don't want to do that. But there's a process that happens when we seek to please men instead of God. And that's what Paul's talking about here. What he's talking about is this process by which we go from honoring God to seeking to honor men. When we go from seeking God's approval to seeking men's approval, and the way the text is written, it, it, we're going to kind of jump around just slightly because Paul doesn't put it in perfect order. But I want to walk you through the process because this is the problem. Oftentimes, we get into the situation we don't even realize we're getting into it until we're already in it. You don't realize the trap that's being set until you're already caught in the trap. And so I want us to be on the lookout I want us to know the process so that when we see it starting, we can see it, we can know it, and we can avoid it. 
And the first thing that happens is found at the end of verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. It's talking about Peter. Uh, Cephas is the Aramaic name. Peter is the Greek name. Both mean rock. Okay? But, but Cephas, Peter, uh, before these certain men came from James, he's eating with the Gentiles. But when they come, he stops eating with the Gentiles. And it says why at the end of verse 12. Look at the end of verse 12. Fearing the circumcision party. It all starts with fearing men. The first thing that happens when we're going to fall away from God's ways and follow after men, the first thing that happens when we're seeking to please men is that we start fearing them. Now that may seem kind of silly. And in fact, uh, in Peter's case, it is kind of silly because up until this point, some pretty dramatic things had happened in Peter's life. If you look back in Acts chapter 10, you'll see Peter is... um, He's... He is, he's about to be led to a Gentile home. Um, and he's going to share the gospel with them. But before he goes, God has to, God has to reprogram him a bit. You see, Peter has been a Jew all his life. He's never eaten unclean food. He's always followed the strict dietary laws laid out in the Jewish scriptures. And so what he does What God does to reprogram Peter is he gives him this dream. He goes into this trance where they're getting food ready for him. He's hungry. He's about to eat. He goes into this trance while they're preparing the food and he sees this sheet fall down from heaven with all kinds of different unclean foods on it. And God tells Peter, eat. And Peter says, well, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. That's all unclean stuff. I can't eat that. It's never passed through my lips. I've never even tried it. And God says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. This happens three times. Three times. And immediately after this vision, some men come from the house of Cornelius and says, come preach the gospel to us. Come with us and come preach the gospel to our master. And Paul realizes the connection. The Gentiles aren't unclean. No, 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 no. God's plan has for both Jews and Gentiles to trust in Him, to form a body that is not distinguished by who you're born to that is not distinguished by your nationality or your place of origin or your ethnic identity, but a body that is distinguished by who we are in Christ. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter to him. And this is Peter that's undergoing this experience. Then in chapter 11, he comes back to the Jerusalem church and watch what happens in Acts 2, or Acts 11, verses 2 and 3. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, watch, the circumcision party criticized him. Imagine that. And what do they say? They say, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Oh. <gasps> Now, that doesn't seem like much to us. But to a faithful Jew, you don't eat their food. You don't even eat at the same table as a Gentile. A couple of places 
uh, in what we call the Apocrypha, which are the books that are written between the Old Testament and New Testament. They're not Scripture, but they give us some insight into the historical uh, events of that time period, that, that period from somewhere around 400 to around 150 B.C. And what we see is that in a couple of places, Jews are told, don't eat with Gentiles. Don't defile yourself by eating with Gentiles. You ate with uncircumcised men. How could you, Paul? And you know what Paul says. I love this. I didn't put this in here. Um, I, I love I love Paul's reaction. He tells them the story. He tells them what happens with the vision coming down and what happens and how God's Holy Spirit falls on that house and anoints the people just like he did. And then he said... If then God gave the same Spirit to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? This is a guy that says, look, I was there. I saw the Holy Spirit fall down and I sure ain't going to oppose God. He had known. He had seen God's work. He had been part of God's work. And he knew that it didn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. What matters is what you do with Christ. And what happened? Paul started to fear men. I bet many of the same people that came from Jerusalem were the same people that were criticizing him in Acts 11. And instead of standing strong and saying, no, this is God's will, Peter says, I fear them. I don't want to have to go through that again. And that's caused the next step. He went from fearing men to following men. I told you we're going a little bit out of order. We're back in verse 12, but now we're, a, we're in the middle of verse 12. Certain men came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. There's two action words here, two verbs to look at. First is he drew back. And this is what often happens. We draw back. We are, we're in a situation where we start to fear somebody and instead of standing on our convictions, instead of knowing what God's Word has said and standing firm on it, we draw back. You know what's really ironic about this? Peter was an apostle. The word apostle, apostolos in Greek, means the one who is sent out. The one who is sent out is now hupostolos. Drawing himself away. The one who is sent out is shying back from his responsibility. He's making a conscious decision that I'm not going to go out. I'm going to lay back. Do, do you see the irony here? When God calls us, He calls us to go forth with the gospel. That's why the go is there in the Great Commission. It's not just there, because as you walk along in life, that's not it. No, what happens is that go 
attaches to the main verb, make disciples. And God is telling you, go make disciples. Therefore, go make disciples. That's what he's saying in the Great Commission. It's not just a, you happen to be around someone who needs to be discipled, so you don't go out of your way, but you know, you just kind of work a little bit of discipleship in there as you get a chance. No, no, no. This is the intentional effort to go somewhere that you aren't going to go, to do something you aren't going to do, and make a disciple who wasn't going to be a disciple until you went and made a disciple. Now, that doesn't mean you make the convert. God converts them. It's our job to bring them to the door where they can know Christ. But it's also our job to help them in the house. Not just to bring them to the door and leave them there. You want to know what the problem with Southern Baptist churches today is? We bring them to the door and we leave them there. Oh, they come in. Hey, all right, yeah. Glad you're here. I'll see you later. That's what we do. That is why, for the last 16 years, Southern Baptist churches have been declining in the number of baptisms. Yeah, did you know that? More, more than a decade and a half. And some, um, some numbers, some figures, were actually been declining for 20 years. Oh, but, but giving is up. Let me tell you guys something. The biggest problem that faces our denomination today is Christians who will sit in the pews and not go make disciples. And even sometimes it's hard to get them to sit in the pews. Now, I know you're here. I'm not going to criticize you for being here. You should be here. This is a great place to be on Sunday morning. But this isn't church. This building is not church. This service is not church. You are the church. And God has called every single one of us. Let me restate that. You are not the church. We are the church, right? Because I'm part two. We are the church. And God has called every single one of us to make disciples. This isn't just a thing where we can say, well, that's someone else's job. I'll sit back here. God has called all of us to go forth and make disciples. God has called all of us to the task, all of us to the work. And though all of us have some different roles and some different responsibilities and different gifts, all of us are called to take the gospel into the whole world. Period. I cannot get away from that. I cannot sugarcoat that. I cannot brush over that. Because what Paul does, what Peter does, is he draws away the one who is sent out is instead of going out like he's told, drawing back, and then not only that, he separates himself. He separated himself. Not only does he draw away, not only does he hang around, but Peter separates. How often do we draw back and separate ourselves? We're afraid of what they'll think of us. Maybe, maybe it's other believers. Boy, uh, uh, I've got this vision and I really should be doing this ministry, but there's some folks that aren't going to like it. There's some folks that, you know, there's someone already doing something and, and, and it may look like I'm trying to take over their job. 
but I'm trying to run them out. Maybe it's non-believers. Maybe it's folks that don't even know Christ. What kind of attitude will they have about me if I start preaching? I mean, I don't want to be that preacher guy that turns everybody away. I don't want to be that guy that, that makes everybody uncomfortable and nobody wants to be around. I don't want to be that guy. Or what, what about my family? Or my friends? Not just people in general, but specific people. People that I know. What if they call me out on it and say, well, you've been living like, you've been living like hell the, for most of your life. What are you, what are you now gonna, now you're gonna act all pious and stuff? What, what might happen to us if we don't draw back and separate ourselves? What, what might happen if we, if we, I mean, what kind of repercussions could we be facing? The word for separating has the idea of setting boundaries. It's like, um, it's, it's like a surveyor marking out the boundaries of a property. And then, not only are you marking out the boundaries, but you're also distinguishing and excluding something else. And if there's one great sin, according to our world, it's excluding somebody. It's leaving somebody out. Oh, you can't, you can't do that because that will make someone else feel left out. The problem is, this word, this word's used ten times in the New Testament. Things being separated. Twice, men are separating. The other eight times, it's always God. And when God separates, it's always a, it's always a, it's, it's always viewed in a righteous, justice sort of way. God separates the sheep from the goats. Right? He separates believers and non-believers. He puts one group on his left and one group on his right. He turns to the group on his right that have been faithful in following him. And he says, well done. He turns to the group on his left that have not been faithful. And depart from me, I've never knew you, right? It's that kind of separation. There are times when we are to be separate. We are to be called out. In fact, ecclesia, the word for church, means called out ones. But it's not our prerogative to separate ourselves. The only two times in the Scripture that men do the separation apart from God specifically tell them to, is this instance right here in verse 12. And what does Paul say about Peter when he does this? I posed him to his face because he stood condemned. The other time, by the way, Jesus is telling us we're blessed when men separate us, when men persecute us for his name's sake. That's the only other time it's used. It is not our prerogative to separate ourselves. It is God's prerogative to separate us. We are not called to live in a holy bubble where no sin can come in and we can't let any of the sinners in and we've got to stay to ourselves. No, no, no. We're called to go out, not to separate ourselves. And Paul, Peter, Paul is criticizing Peter because Peter separates himself. We don't have the right. Only God does. And fearing men causes us to draw ourselves back and separate ourselves from the very people to whom God has called us to go, to whom God has called us to speak, to whom God has called us to make disciples. And so we start 
by fearing men, and then we follow men. And it doesn't just stay with us either. Because it's not very long before we move from following men to fooling men. Look at verse 13. He says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. There's that word, hypocritical. Once he started acting hypocritically, everybody else followed suit. You see, Peter was a leader. He was an apostle. He's a head. He's, he's, he's an important guy. And once he started doing this, other people followed suit. But it wasn't just other people. It wasn't even just, just most everybody. Look at, look at the second half of this verse. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, who was Barnabas? Barnabas is the guy who vouches for Paul when everybody else is skeptical. When Paul says, I have seen the Lord, and everybody else is saying, I don't know if we want to trust this guy. He's been persecuting Christians. Barnabas is the one that stands beside him and says, accept him for my sake. Listen to him for my sake. Barnabas is the, the, the kind guy, the one with the good heart, the one who encourages, the one who has compassion and mercy, the one who wants to take John Mark. When Paul says, leave him behind, he left us. Barnabas is the one that stands for what's right, who accepts the one who is rejected by others. He's the one that exhibits Christian compassion. And yet even he is led astray by their hypocrisy. In fact, if you look back a couple verses in chapter 2 verse 9, you see that when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Everybody knew, everybody knew that Barnabas had a special calling to go to the Gentiles, just like Paul did. And yet even Barnabas is led astray. You know, sometimes good people fall. And it all starts from trying to please men. You fear them, so you start following them, and you lead people astray, and sometimes you lead really good people astray. I'm not saying the rest of the Jews aren't good. I just happen to know a little bit about Barnabas. But that's the problem. When we turn away from God's calling and seek to please men, we lead others astray. Sometimes really good others. So here we are. Now we know the process. I want to make one more note, and that is Paul's response to the process. So here we have... When, when you start fearing people, you start following them instead of following God, and you lead others astray too. Paul has a response to Peter's action. When, when people are fearing men and following men and fooling men, the response to declare their fault. 
calling this one faulting men. Verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, and there's the key, it's got to be not in step with the truth of the gospel. We don't just call people out because we don't like what they're doing. We don't call people out because they put the toilet paper on wrong. We don't call people out because they don't fold our socks the right way. Right? I told you, these verses are hounding me. We don't call people out just because we don't like what they're doing. We call people out when they are neglecting the gospel and they're acting in a way that's contrary to the truth of the gospel. Remember last week we talked about the nature of the gospel. How works don't earn your salvation. How it's Christ. How it's trusting in Christ. Faith in Christ. It makes us right with God. That brings us justification before Him. Remember we talked about that. And we talked about the fact that, that there's this guilt that no longer do we face the, the, the eternal guilt of being doomed because of our sin. But we have a freedom in Christ from slavery to sin. A freedom from death and hell. But when they're he saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He's got to say something. I said to Cephas before them all, I, I don't normally recommend you chastise somebody in front of a group of people, but every now and then it gets to that point. And this is serious enough that Paul has to get to that point. And he calls out the hypocrisy. You ever, you ever accuse somebody of doing something and then come to find out it's you? You're doing the same thing? I think one time um, I got on to someone that I knew for she had this bad habit, and it's not Carrie. She had this bad habit when she drove of she would reverse and she'd swing out really fast and while the car was still moving, she'd change the gears. And that's not, that's not very good for a transmission. And so I told her that. I said, don't do that. That's not good for your car. You know what I found myself doing within, within the week? Same thing. Still rolling backwards, changing over to drive. And I said, you hypocrite. I, I, I did the exact same thing that I called her out for. We are so prone to doing this. We accuse the other person. And maybe it's because we know what it looks like takes one to know one, you know? Jeff Foxworthy said, I don't think you can make fun of rednecks unless you are one. And I are one. But the whole, whole point is we accuse somebody else of doing something and we do it ourselves. It's hypocrisy. That's exactly what Peter was doing. He was expecting Gentiles to live up to the standard that he himself, though he should have been under the standard, wasn't. If you're a Jew, but you don't live like a Jew, you live like a Gentile, how can you ask the Gentiles to live like Jews? You're not even willing to do this yourself, and yet you want them to. It's the, it's the speck in the beam that Jesus talks about. Guy has a beam in his eye, and he's gonna, he's gonna tell his brother that there's a speck in his eye. Now get the beam out of your own eye first then you can see 
to help your brother get the speck out of his. Maybe, um, let me, let me also caution you on this. Make sure you don't have the beam in your eye before you start removing the speck out of theirs. If you're going to find fault with someone, if you're going to tell them that you find fault with them, you better make sure that you're not guilty of the same problem. Check your own heart first. We all have to answer this question. Who are we pleasing? Are we seeking to please men or God? Let's run back through the points real quick. Are we fearing men? Are we fearing God? Are we following men? Are we following God? Are we fooling men? No, you can't fool God. See, the the person who fears God and the person who follows God will be helping men find the truth. Not fooling them. And are we finding fault in others when we should be finding it in ourselves? Who are we pleasing? Who are you pleasing? Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do to you. Don't be afraid of the ones who can kill you, and that's it. Notice what else he says. But I will warn you whom to fear. You want to know who to fear? Fear him who, after he is killed, has the authority to cast you into hell. Don't fear the man who can kill you. Fear the man who, who, fear the one who can doom you. God has every right, every right to send men to hell because of our sin. But he's provided a way to avoid that. Now, some of us need to start living like it. Stop fearing what people think. Stop fearing what they'll say, what they'll do. Stop following what other people think is the right course of action. And stop fooling others into going the same way. Some of us need to face our faults and repent. Am I pleasing God? Fearing Him, following Him, bringing others to Him? Or am I pleasing men? Fearing men, following men, fooling men. to be faulted with hypocrisy. Pray with me. Father, as we come to this place and this time, we realize that it is so easy to please men rather than you. Father, we realize that it is so easy for us to seek to honor those around us. I mean, they're close. Family and friends to follow after the gurus, follow after the people that seem to have it all together. 
And God, in doing so, we neglect you. We reject you. And Father, the gurus are nothing compared to God. Lord, I pray that we would seek to please you. And this time, we know that you, what brings you pleasure, what brings you glory, it's a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Genuine repentance over sin. Faith that doesn't get put in ourselves or in our own works and the things that we can do or say or be, but faith that solely rests in Jesus Christ, your Son, and what He has done, what He has said, who He is. That's what brings you glory. That's what pleases you. Lord, I pray that our lives would please you. So, Father, in this time, whatever you want us to do, whether it's to bow our knee and surrender to Christ, to trust Him with everything, and to quit following our own ways, whether it's to become a part of this church, to join and to to be here, not just here to come, here to sit, here to listen, but here to go and to proclaim, to give, to tell serve to bring you glory. Father, whether it's just to follow you in this phase of our life, to seek to bring you glory on a daily basis, to draw closer to you. God, whatever you're doing, I pray that we would please you, that we would fear you and follow you. Tell others about you. Lord, this is your time. You do with it as you will. In Jesus' name, amen.